Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Newism podcast, where we talk to social innovators and disruptors to discover how they would shape a new, more inclusive economic system, fit for the modern world. Our guest this week is Professor Liz Grant, an expert in global health and development and the director of Edinburgh University's Global Health Academy. Her areas of research include integrated care, compassion and resilience, as well as HIV and sexual and reproductive health. Her work has taken her all over the world, working with communities to examine how they can approach healthcare to put the person at the centre. Um, hi, we're here talking with uh, Liz Grant, who is a professor at um, Edinburgh University. Um, we're talking about all things health and you know what the world would look like with a, a proper global health um, system. But perhaps first you could tell me a little about yourself. What is, what is your background and what, how do you end up at Edinburgh University? Sure. So... I'm one of the professors here, Professor of Global Health and Development, but I've had a a long and interesting journey to get to this place. Um, I previously was working for Scottish Government. I worked as their senior health advisor in the the Scotland-Malawi National Cooperation Agreement um, and in the International Division. And before that, I worked uh, for the NHS um, in public health and the direct, public health director here in Lothian. And prior to that, I actually worked in Kenya, working as a community health advisor in quite a rural part of Kenya, um, supporting community health programs. So, so you have a kind of experience of Western culture and African culture, and they would be very, very different kind of approaches to health. That's right. I mean, yes. and was one better than the other or because one was a poorer country, it was just worse because it was poorer? Or no, so. no, that's, that's a really interesting question. You know, one of the studies that I, I was involved in um, when I was working in, in Chigoria in Kenya in the late 90s, and this was at a time when there was a huge... Um, the HIV pandemic was was just ravaging the country and there was no drugs available because of the cost at that stage in the 90s. Um, and So one of the big pieces of work I was doing was looking at how do we offer care at end of life for people who are dying with HIV and also dying with cancers. And there was almost no palliative care, sort of end of life care support systems in place. And as part of the, the setting up a, 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 an effective programme that met the community's needs. I was doing some research along with um, developing the service and uh, I began to compare what people were saying in this rural area of Kenya with studies that were happening here in Edinburgh that I was also involved in. And what came out was that while there was almost no pain relief um, and sort of good um, as we would see it, good health services in this area for managing um, pretty severe pain. What there was was social support. There was emotional support. There was spiritual support. Now, I'm not saying that that compensates or, or means that we shouldn't have adequate pain relief. But in comparison, people here were talking about living and dying with illness and having all the hospital care they, they wanted, but feeling isolated, lonely, scared. And there was this desperate need among many people saying, of, of a need, and there was people were describing being intensely unhappy, scared, fearful, having spiritual needs that weren't being met within the health sector and not being sure where to 
find those, uh, find support for those. Now that might seem an odd thing to bring up, but that comparison um, for me was so blunt and sort of dramatic that in one place you're missing one part of the health sector service and another place you're missing another part of it. But if you got all of those parts together, then you would get a much stronger, much better health service and health health system to care. And here we're great with the sort of um, sectoral pieces of service delivery, but we often miss understanding that the person behind matters, the family matters. That's really interesting. And so how, how could we almost kind of share each, can you share from one culture to the other so that you end up with an added value with a, are you able to kind of, you know, um, share those yes. experiences uh-huh. across from Kenya and Scotland? Well, well, that was, um, I think we have begun to do some of that. We need to do so much more. Some of the sharing um, that I've been involved in has actually reflected in my um own global health work here at the university because one of the the programs I run is around developing palliative care in low-income country settings. So supporting ministries of health in a number of countries um, strengthen their palliative, their end-of-life care services. And we have various clinicians from Scotland and actually from across the UK working with their counterparts in different hospitals in different um sub-Saharan African countries to, to share knowledge together. And I know many of uh, my colleagues who come back after working in mentorship and working in service delivery come back into the NHS and say, we're reformed people, we're different people. We actually understand that health is, is an asset. Health is something um, extraordinary. And we can, by thinking about whole health, make um, you know, contribute much more effectively into the service. The healthcare is not just about doing things to people; it's about engaging things, engaging everyone in a family. And it has been a number of people have said it's not until they have gone and worked in Kenya or Malawi or Zambia or Rwanda or Uganda that they've really understood the community, um, the, the communality and community of working together in, in in healthcare. And that sharing is going to make it make a difference. So it's it's um, so interesting because so many people kind of see health about. If you say you're talking about health, it's about well, it's about hospital or about being ill, and then you go to the doctor and you get a pill, and now you're better. Whereas I think what you're describing as health is actually much more yes. profound than that. Yeah, health yeah. is from the kind of beginning of your life to the end of your life. Yes. It's about you keep using yeah. the word community. Yes. Um, uh, can you explain a bit about how that how you're thinking around that? What, what how, how does that work? Is it about, about well-being more than is it well-being a better word than health? Do you so, think? Yes, I think we've I think we've hijacked health in our um, in the UK sometimes uh, to mean the the health service, and we think of health within the context of the NHS. And health belongs to each each one of us. It isn't. It's the the greatest asset that each of us have, and it's an asset because we um, we need to be healthy in order to to live. But it's also an asset because it it provides to our economy. It provides to our society the 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 framework within which uh, society itself can become healthy and well. Um, so we need to look after our health. We need to own it. Our health shouldn't be something that somebody else does to us. You know, like you go to the doctor to get a pill. That's that's not about 
healthiness, that's about um, a, a particular line of service. And health for me as well is about understanding that we have physical, emotional, spiritual, social health and that they are connected and also that those individual components of health, which as you just say is probably better framed as well-being, are also impacted by an impact on the way that we care for the environment and the way that we care for the ecosystems in which we we live. Uh, so, so you see it's a fundamental connector, if you like. So we're, we're talking about this newism, what the world might look like. Yeah, yes. Your view strongly would be that a key component of that would be health properly defined as, as it is in terms of looking after ourselves, yes. and that, that in turn looks after society. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. and looking after uh, the, the ecosystem within which we actually uh, survive, looking, you know, looking after the environment. And you know, we, in, within the NHS, we firefight so often because we're saying we're, you know, we've got um, problems with um, asthma or... Uh, lung disease, and it's because of pollution, the air's polluted. But we don't think, why is the air polluted? Why is the sea polluted? Why is the, you know, why is the soil contaminated? We don't ask those questions and think those questions really impact on our health and well-being. And until we think about the healthiness of, you know, the land, the sea, the air, the planet, um, we are only looking at one small part of our health by uh, looking at, at at physical health. Yeah. So, so, so it's 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 it, in some sense it's what you're kind of saying. And a number of other people we've spoken to will talk often about we get into these silos yes. and, and, yeah. and and forever we remain in them. Uh-huh. But what you're saying actually is that uh, particularly as refers to health, yes. it affects everything. You kind of go think about your health first. And then everything else will follow. So the environment, the economy, the way we organise our society, the way we organise our transport, all relates into well-being as a whole. For yes, society. yes, I, I, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So the next, the difficult question then is, um, uh, how do we move from where we are to get to that place? If we imagine then a world where we we, we talk, people understand what health is in in in, in its a wider definition. Um, and it's it's in all of our interest to be to be healthy because collectively yeah. we all but we all win if you like. How do we move from where we are now globally to get to that place? <laughs> that, that's the, <laughs> that's the, the difficult question. Um, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, what we're doing here at the university, which um, and then thinking of how would we extrapolate that out. Um, the university has five global. Academies, and the one that I'm a director of is the Global Health Academy. And that academy is built on three premises, which I think relate to this question. The first premise is that we are all equal. And we can uh, assume that that's, of course, we all say we're all equal. Of course, that's what we believe. But actually, the equality of humanity is something that we may give lip service to, but not many of us truly act as if we believe that we are equal, that our brothers, our sisters, outside here, outside the city of Edinburgh, outside Scotland, outside the UK, across the whole world, we don't really believe in that equality. And if we did, if we stopped and thought we are born equal, 
there's no, we're born into very unequal circumstances, but as each of us are born, we are brothers and sisters. Um, so that's, that's the first premise. And then the second premise is that the answer to the majority of the sort of world's problems at the minute, the challenges the world is facing, are probably already in the world already. They're just not where we think they are, those answers. We're not searching for them in the right places. And that's definitely one of the issues for academia. They need to begin to listen to those who are um, in communities whose voices are not being heard, listen to those who are in communities where um, they often where they have been somewhat excluded. We, we know this from from all of the work that is going on as we began, um, I suppose, from the, the 19th and 20th century onwards to really understand the voice of women, uh, we began to see there was tremendous um, responses and answers to some of the questions that men had been asking and not and when they had left women out of um, conversations. But but this, this holds right across. And at the recent conference we had, as we listened to the voice of... Um, First Nation elders, as we listen to the voice of um, faith communities, as we listen to the voice of those who were leading um, in sports communities, we began to he hear a different answer to some of the questions that we were asking. The third, the third premise of our academy, which I think matters as well, is that there is a perfect storm coming. We can see the, the challenges that we're facing with climate change, with economies that are struggling, with conflict emerging more and more, with the impacts of um, uh, tensions and, and people moving into, into silos. And yet we know that unless we work together, unless we, we, we work outside of those um, streams, we're not going to be able to answer the questions because we're not really going to be able to form the questions that need need answered. So those are, those three premises are what holds our global health academy together. But I think then, as you ask, what could we do to make to to help help the, uh, an, an ism grow a, a, a form to become a different sort of world? I think it would be enabling, finding the, the mechanisms which would enable um, the thinking around some of those premises to develop. And I think with uh, you know, the work that you've been doing with the Homeless World Cup, you have offer, you've created a new space where people can believe in the equality of humanity in a new way because there is something extraordinarily exciting and, and um, to be together and to realise that it's a togetherness that, that matters. I think as academia pushes around concepts such as planetary health, we begin to move away from thinking we can solve singular problems, we can solve the problems of disease without thinking about the problem of environmental pollution or we can solve the problem of, um, you know, it's any one of the multiple problems of climate change without recognising that those multiple problems of climate change also have multiple impacts on mental health. And we're beginning to really make those connections now. So I think, I think things are, are happening, but they need to be escalated. We need to get more people engaged in that conversation. So that's interesting. How do we do that? I mean, you, we recently had your, your conference on planetary health, which had a lot mm -hmm. of different voices. And as you say, maybe not the usual suspects at a yeah. kind of more uh -huh. academic health uh -huh. conference. Actually, there's all sorts of different people there. There does seem to be a real thirst for people to 
want to express themselves to join in this debate, it, it would appear that a lot of people would realize that the world is stressed. So yes. I use that word that we, yeah. it's sometimes an overused word. So, you know, it's an executive stress, but, mm -hmm. you know, I obviously mm -hmm. try being homeless and mm -hmm. want to know about yes. stress. Yes. But the environment appears to be stressed. Everything seems to be stressed. And so we, 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 we're living in a world where people are kind of un un very uncomfortable with that mm -hmm. stress mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, are looking for answers. Is that something you're mm -hmm. picking up in a constructive mm -hmm. way? People are saying, hey, we need to do something different. I think so. I, I, I think very much. And, and people are talking about, um, where, where Edinburgh and Scotland were the, the home of the, the first enlightenment, that there is the potential to actually have a, a second enlightenment where we register and recognize that the, the, the value base that has been very strongly attached to a, a strong economic driver is perhaps not, not providing the, um, solutions that we once thought it would. Um, young people in particular talk to me, and as we work with so many students, um, both who are living here in Edinburgh and the students who are online um, in our multiple, um, you know, masters and online masters across the university and across actually a number of universities, that student community, that young community are beginning to think and talk very, very differently from the communities before. They're, they're beginning to see that the world is stressed, but there are actually ways of creative ways of um, almost bucking the trend of saying I'm not going to become like that I, I, I'm not going to prioritize um, drawing together as many um, possessions as I have and putting a barrier around them and saying these are these are mine they don't belong to you I'm going to actually say that what matters is um, what, what's most valuable to me is my shared experiences with others and I know a lot of young people are identifying that um, if they were prioritizing things, it's they're prioritizing the experiences with each other as opposed to the, 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 you know, the, the products that they're sitting and saying, these are mine. I think also then that there's, there's opportunity with the way that academia is going in a sense. This is, this is a space that I'm in. Um, but here at the university, we've looked at, um, a new, almost a new way of thinking what a 21st century university would look like. Um, Edinburgh Futures and, um, mm -hmm. Institute initiative is uh, beginning to ask questions about what would learning look like that would be very different, that would begin to be much more responsive to the challenges that are emerging. How do we learn outside the silos that we normally sort of put ourselves into? How do we learn outside just using words um, because if there's one thing that worries me most about the 21st century is that we are great at putting together words to describe problems, but not taking those words and translating them into action. And I think young people are recognising that, but so are academia, and we're beginning to say we have to move beyond words and look at what types of modelling and actions would demonstrate a different type of community. I'm not sure I've asked, answered your question, no, no, so you that, might want no, to ask no, well, again. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's a really difficult area to yeah, get because, uh -huh. of course, if we all knew what the answer was, we, we would be doing we, it. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's uh, again, and we, your conference you talked a lot about the second enlightenment, and, of course, here we are sitting in Edinburgh, and 
you know, the economist Adam Smith, who is oh, usually kind of chumped up as the, you know, the, the founder of capitalism. And in point of fact, actually, if you, if, if, if you read his, his work, actually he talks about a set of values first. It's about society yes. and how you create money to circulate, to enhance those values. Uh, it seems that what's happened is that, that that system has forgotten about the values. And you were mentioning there that students are looking at values. And, it, you know, maybe what we're talking about is we need to kind of mm -hmm. sort out mm -hmm. the values yes. first. And what then we need to do is get our economy to, to reflect those values. So, so when you're talking about, uh, for example, you know, you, you were saying one of your, your key pillars of your academy is that everybody's born equal. Well, that maybe is one of the values that we need to be, um, underlining yes. as part of this newism. Is that, yes. is that, yeah. agree with that? I, I absolutely. And you, um, you, you said it really, uh, really beautifully because I, one of one of the areas that we've been working on here, just at the university, and again, I think it it translates out because it's, it's because it's emerging from students, is a new compassion driver within the university. Um, the senior management have are identifying that there's something extraordinarily um, nourishing and refreshing growing up across the university and understanding that. Um, we want students to uh, leave not just with a, a great degree um, for those who are here at the university, but also with a, a, a real sense that what matters and which what underpins that degree is a, a sense of compassion to the other and therefore a compassionate care of self, which enables you to be compassionate to those around you. And that it is that compassion that actually will be the the most significant um, core element in your life going forward, because in many ways degrees are, are are there, but what the workplace needs is someone who can take knowledge and actually use knowledge with care and carefully use use knowledge, but also Use knowledge to care for another in all that they do. And if we, if, if we were in a situation where that was the, the premise on which we were working, that we cared for each other, that we thought, we, we looked through a lens and thought, what, what will, you know, if I make this decision, how will this impact on the other? How will this impact on the environment? How will this impact on my children's their future. If we use those lenses, that, that compassionate lens to think about our decision making, then things would change. Now that's a, so it's a, it's an, well, you say it's an aspiration. It is an aspiration, but you're saying it's also, if we pin it as a value, if, if we say this is what we believe and this is what, how we're going to move forward, things can change quite quickly. We've seen extraordinary movements. Some of my very early work was looking at the, um, movement that the Clapham sect developed um, for the abolition of slavery with William Wilberforce. Um, and that movement is extraordinary for so many ways. It, it recognised that there was something um, something awful and in, you know, absolutely inhumane about slavery. And someone passionately believed that. And a group of people got together who passionately decided they were going to, you know, effectively throw over 
the British economy at that point by bringing in certain certain regulations and certain laws. And what seemed impossible actually became became possible because of 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 a, of a strong belief in undercurrent. Yeah. So things can happen. Yeah, yes, and and in in particular these days because we're global, things can happen globally. Uh, yes, quickly. yes, yeah. Um, but I think it's it's there does seem to be this kind of people kind of say yeah things don't seem quite right yeah we're not quite sure what to do which is almost why we're sitting here do, do you find that um, students when they're leaving they maybe take some of these issues with you like compassion for example into the workplace and that might be influencing it do do you find that that they're more likely to go no I want I'm going to start an initiative or do you, do you find them more entrepreneurial is this part of what's going on just now in this kind of changing I th- yes, atmosphere? Yes, I think it absolutely is. And um, students are, are extraordinary entrepreneurial um, with extraordinary capacity to do new things if, if supported. But often what, what I'm seeing is that um, entrepreneurial spirit is about, a, a, it's about well-being, a better, a better together community as opposed to I'm going to go and become entrepreneurial just for me, just so that I can get something out of it and nobody else can, so that's can benefit. So it's, more, it's more social entrepreneurship. So it's entrepreneurial uh, yes. with, with not necessarily a, a, fina- a profit Pro- out- outcome. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And while, you know, I, I, I'm I not saying that the, the students and, and, and who, who don't want to make profit, it's, it, I think the lens through which that people are, are beginning to start their um, conversations are, are very different. Um, it's not starting to make, um, t- you know, to make profit at the expense of all others. It's starting to think, how do we, how, how can we, um, you know, how can we build business? How can we create community in what, with a, in, with in a care sustain, for, in, in a sustainable way? Sustainable yes, way. Yeah. I think that's right. So people are kind of understanding the concept of social enterprises, for example. So, you have business, but actually they can be making profits, but the profits are re, uh, reinvested into the, into yes, the enterprise. Yes, so yeah. there's a new way uh-huh. of doing and businesses, and a lot of people will yeah. talk about that. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. But, I mean, one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, how there are a lot of initiatives around the world. So you take fair trade as the example I use all the time. So, so somebody's come up with that notion so that the producers and the farmers are getting paid fairly and then we as customers buy into that. And then that's, that's, that's grown as a concept so people will mm-hmm. get that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not just one organisation, a number of organisations. Mm-hmm. But and, and then some people will be critical of it and, and maybe it's not perfect, but people are at least doing something. It's, it's something you can actually buy yes. into. Yeah. But, but the challenge sometimes is that... Um, They'll, you know, we talk about silos again. They they work up in their own world. They don't speak to the microfinance people. They don't necessarily speak to the health. Yes. Um, And it's a question of how do we pull these people who are passionate about values like compassion and equality and inclusion Uh Uh um, and making the world a better, fairer place. Um, But they're quite isolated in many cases. How do we pull them together? Is it is it through you know creating Edinburgh is a space for for the second enlightenment. This is the place where people come to talk yes, together. Yes, yes. I would love to see. I would. This happening, and I think it is in a way happening with um, uh, you know communities like the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, mm-hmm. um, who are really uh, 
reframing the way that um, economy is is is, is structured and in, in our sense and understanding of what, what how we are articulating the economic drivers. I think it's about um, the work that's happening in primary schools, um, even work like the the mile a day run is beginning to encourage children to um, make connections and associations between their their own physical health, the health of those around them, the fun of being together to 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 do something yeah. transformative, and even those tiny little spirits that are are beginning to be impl- implanted there. I think begin to are are going right through school and into universities and into colleges and into workplaces. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. The, the challenge is how do we get the, the money to work right? But, 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 now, that's the, the bit we're kind of grasping with because yes. it seems that money's become the be-all and end-all other than a mechanism to make our lives better. That seems to be what's happened. And so it's, it's the question of, you know, you know, Bill Clinton said it's the economy stupid. So I've always taken away saying it's the economy stupid. <laughs> how, how do we get an economy that that, 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 that blends in with these values and makes these yes. values? And, yeah. you know, um, uh-huh. the well-being, uh-huh. of, economic well-being, as we'll talk about, we need new measurements. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And one of them could be around health. Yes, know? yes. Can we invent a, a measurement around health and well-being in a, in a city or a society that actually becomes as important as the GDP or yes. or, or uh-huh. whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, do you think that that's possible? I think that could we could could you academics invent something like that? Yeah, I I think I think it is possible. I think um, I, I mentioned at the start that I I really see health as an asset, and I think that if we could articulate what that fully means, um, that it it, it moves. Uh, that we see that, that this asset, um, which is even more valuable than money, um, if we began to understand the asset that we have um, within our society, um, that is health. And if we begin began to be able to create the, the markers of that and also to nurture the health of others and nurture the health, we would begin to create a different sort of... Um, economic driver so that's one one side um the challenge will always be that the the everything is on a you know effectively a pound shillings and, and pence exchange <coughs> mechanism are we able going forward to in a sense pay it forward with alternatives to the to money to money are you know can we really begin to um, give the assets that each of us have um, as forms of of payment, as forms to create um, new spaces to to give people what they need in order to survive better. That doesn't involve this, and I I think we can, but it it involves two things for me again, and I I'm conscious I'm just speaking within from the the, the university setting. It involves trying to encourage and enable students to see that that what that their greatest gift to the world is their ability to share the assets that they have not necessarily in creating not in creating and generating money but in in sharing and giving something that 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 they can 
they can transfer their knowledge into action that's going to enable others to grow differently. Yeah. Um, now that's that that all sounds it sounds just too soft well. for a lot of people. And yet it's not because you think that's the thing that actually allows us day to day to survive. Um, it, it it allows us to 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 I, I suppose in the end it allows us to 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 live and grow strong together. Those things, if we can begin to reframe so that we can see that these things are making a, a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with this. It's a question new measurement tools. I mean, I, I know people are doing social capital yeah. and they're very clever people, um, you know, with, with lots of spreadsheets and so on and so forth are, are, are getting value. And then they can write it back almost to what the pecuniary value is. Yeah. So uh, we're on the way, but it, my challenge back to them at the moment is it always, it always comes back then to the current system. I, I, actually, what we need to do somehow is to is to just kind of leave the current system and trying it onto a completely new page, which says okay, these are the measurements, and then you are talking about movements and culture shifts. Yes, yes. To say actually, this is the way we want to live. This is how we're going to measure it. Yes, and this, uh -huh. and this, and this uh -huh. is how this uh -huh. one works. Uh -huh. I think I think that's what the issues that we need to to get yes. onto and we need yeah. to talk uh -huh. through. Uh -huh. I I think I think that's right, and the. You know, when we say the answers to many of these challenges are in the world already. We, we know like there are small communities and that have espoused these aspirations. And, you know, I'm just thinking, let's say here in Scotland with the, you know, the Iona community and, and, and their framework. But the question you're asking is how does that become so mainstream that, that, that is, is a, is becomes a, becomes normative. And we're not in a situation where everything that is creative and good is pushed to the side and this solid part. Mm. Uh, and it, I mean, I suppose two things for me, it can only happen by, um, you know, nurturing children to, um, to think differently, to start, you know, that should be a, a premise as we go forward. And I think the Scottish government are very committed to, um, enabling children to think differently and supporting their well-being, but that's a that's a long-term um, investment. The immediate and you know short-term investment is recognizing that each of us have a place to play in the here and now to make pledges to to actually think about how over the course of one month, six months, one year would we make. A difference in the way that we live that could contribute into a different sort of society, and again, that may seem oh, that's just someone making a pledge. But actually, think of the strength of you know five million people making a pledge to do a small thing differently. Yeah, I think I think that's always a key. It's about people doing small things and not having a look at the world and going, oh my goodness me, I can't influence that. It's it's too yes. too yeah. large. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I have one final question for you, which is. Um, the issue is about global, so that, that we want to be global yeah. citizens. But you're talking there about us in Scotland here, and it's a small country, and maybe there's some things we do in a small country. Some people even say that we should be looking at smaller communities. You mentioned the Iona community. I mean, what's your view on the big, small issue for me? Lots of people will talk about, you know, we actually need to go back to, to communities and community empowerment and, and, you know, have city states rather than nation states. And, 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 and that's what we need to focus on. And that's the way forward. 
But, I, you know, I would retort by maybe saying, yeah, but the world's the world. We are all <laughs> global citizens nowadays. And you can't kind of scrub that out. No. So how, how do we reconcile yeah. this view which a lot of people have that we need, you know, we, we should be part of smaller communities but also global citizens? Yes. I, you know, it's, it's a really important question. And, and as, um, you know, assistant principal for global health, that's, that's my role in the university. Obviously, my ambition at the university is to get all of us to think global and to, and actually to act, act for the global good. So that's, uh, you know, part of what my, my, my work is about. And yet I recognize that to think global, we can only start doing that by thinking about where we are, where we are in the globe. Cause each of us each of us are part of this global community as well as being part of a local community. We don't, we're, we're not, it's not two separate things. I feel it's, it's like a continuum that if we make a decision here, that decision has a ripple effect right across. And therefore, if we can think that our small local decisions are, will actually influence out much, much more than we ever realize. For me, that's one of the, the key things. That's one of the things I try to encourage my students to understand that they may be doing things here in Edinburgh, but in 10 years, they may be in, in another country. In five years, they may be speaking to someone else who's influencing and shaping a context in another place in the world. That could have started here in Edinburgh. So that local, uh, local that global and local is, is very key. But the other question you're, you are saying, you know, about should we in, in, uh, the world is globalized should we really move back into much more narrow and um, framing of our almost of our governments of our city states our city nations rather than than big um, conglomerates and i don't think that's i don't think that's possible and i would worry um if we try to do something like that we would move into uh an insular view because i don't mm-hmm. think we can ever move yeah. we need to be thinking big in order to make the small happen yeah. but we need to care for the small in order that it can ripple out to, to others that's such a good way of putting it and maybe a good way of finishing one of the challenges i mean um as with everyone else who's been to could speak to you for, for hours more but i think we should maybe finish now but uh, we'd like to thank you for your uh, uh, contribution to this and maybe we come back to it a, a, a another day but absolutely clear that health in in its widest definition is such a crucial part to any any economy going forward any newism health's got to be there as a core core part and fundamental part of what we're doing so thank you very much thank you We hope you enjoyed listening to Liz talk so eloquently about the place of health in a new economy and how we should approach it from a different perspective. We'd love to hear your thoughts via the usual channels. Next week, we'll be talking to Baroness Gaudi, a global advocate for the rights of women. We hope to see you there.